Hello, I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. And this week's show is a special one. Pam Wall has been a friend and advisor to the cruising community for years, sharing her deep knowledge of sailing through West Marine, seminars, boat shows, publications, podcasts, and more. First, today's show is sponsored by Sun-Powered Yachts. There are so many benefits of having solar on your boat, clean, quiet, abundant power. And today's panels are just so much more efficient than they used to be. Even if you already have panels, you might want to consider upgrading. And if you're looking for new panels, solar controllers, wiring, any other solar gear, or just someone to talk to to learn more about installation and upgrades, you should contact Lyle and Katie at Sun Powered Yachts. They're sailors themselves, and they cater to the boating community. Now, I met Katie and Lyle at the Richmond Boat Show and had Katie on the podcast back on uh, episode 10, I think it was. And after talking with them, I knew that when I was ready to upgrade my solar panels on Dovka, I would reach out to them and sun-powered yachts. So I've recently installed two Maxion 415-watt panels from sun-powered yachts on Dovka, and they are allowing me the peace and quiet of going for days without running the engine. Also, I was able to pick the panels up in Hayward, California, and for anyone in the Bay Area, that will save you a bundle on shipping. You can find out more and order your own panels at sunpoweredyachts.com. On a more personal note, as I've talked about before, my family and I are preparing to go cruising down to Mexico aboard Dovka, our 35-foot sloop, and the boat's nearly ready to go. We're in the process of moving out of our land home and onto the boat. However, last week, a nerve in my back, specifically the one between the fifth lumbar vertebrae and the top of my sacrum, got pinched. And um, I'm feeling it right now, I tell you. I've been in pain and fairly immobile for about a week now. The physical pain is no fun at all, but uh, with drugs and physical therapy, some breathing and meditation, I am able to manage that. The the harder part has really been the mental aspect of not knowing how long it's going to take to recover, not being able to do all the things I need and want to do to get ready for our departure. I'm turning 50 this month, and, and this injury hasn't made me feel old. I mean, I feel fit, but it's made me feel pretty vulnerable, making me feel like I could be blindsided by any other multitude of unknowns. And I mention all this because listening back to this interview I did with Pam has been a real tonic. Um, Because Pam has faced more than her fair share of tragedy and hardship in her life. But she maintains one of the most positive attitudes of anybody I know. This is something Andy Schell and Pam talked about when he recently stayed with her and interviewed her for his On the Wind podcast. It's episode number 403, and I, I recommend you... Go and take a listen to that if you haven't. As an aside, I know Pam and Andy are brewing up another project that will be featured by 59 North, so keep an ear out for that. While I've never met Pam in person, my parents have been friends with her for years. My dad, Sid Shaw, who's visiting right now, met Pam's husband, Andy Wall, when he was cruising in the 60s. Now, you guys met in Tahiti, is that right? 
Right. They, uh, Andy was sailing on a boat called Carronade, which he had built. It was about, I don't know, 30, 31 feet. He and uh, two of his mates, Des Kearns, I can't remember the, the third chap's name, uh, had sailed up from Australia where they lived and built the boat. And I was on my way from the Caribbean to Australia on a 35-foot trimaran uh, Cygnus. In those days, there were no marinas in, in Papiete or anywhere in Tahiti. Every cruising boat just uh, tied up to the shore, put a passerelle or wooden plank ashore, and uh, there were only, I would say, less than a dozen cruising boats at, at the time. This was uh, September of 1965. So what are your recollections of Andy then? Well, uh, I didn't really know Andy that well, but he was a giant of a man. We socialized a little bit while we were all tied up there with the cruisers. At the, we were tied up between Bernard Motissier in this red boat on one side and David Lewis, a famous uh, world cruiser as well, on the other side. So as I say, it was, there were only a few boats, so obviously everybody knew everybody else. <laughs> Quite some company there. This was before Andy had met Pam, which we'll hear about how they met in this interview. But then you met Pam years later, correct? Yeah, I can't remember exactly when it was, but we were in Fort Lauderdale and Pam was still employed by West Marine. And certainly we knew of Pam through the Ocean Cruising Club. And so we went into the, the store and introduced ourselves and started a friendship, which has lasted to this day. Mom and I had stayed several nights with with Pam in her house years and years ago before she met Andy she bought a little house on a canal in Fort Lauderdale and uh, in which she still lives today and all the visiting boats seem to end up at Pam's dock well thank you for that quick recollection I just love that touch point and I really enjoyed this interview with Pam so we'll get right into it Thank you very much for getting together with me today. This is so much fun. I really oh, it's my pleasure. It. We've been we've been wanting to do this for a while, so I'm glad we finally were able to make it happen. Right. Well, the best thing can happen after this is to meet in person. Um, you know, I love your parents. I've known them for forever, and and now we get to talk and become friends virtually, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, a quick a quick introduction. I was just a little girl brought up in. Uh, in uh, the Chicago area, my, my dad was a, a fanatic, Lake, uh, Lake Michigan, uh, Lake Huron sailing racer. And so every, every uh, weekend of my life, during the summertime, I was with my dad on his boat. And I think part of that had to do with the cute crew that he had because I was just a young girl. And the only thing I could do was pass up the beer cans and make the bologna sandwiches. But... Um, <laughs> The, the, the funny thing is, and I, I, I hope no one's listening who knows Gary Comer, but Gary Comer, you know, who is the founder of, of, of Land's End, uh, was one of his crew members as a, as, a young, as a young kid. We kind of had a thing going with us. Anyway, um, I graduated from University of Wisconsin. Uh, I went there because I wanted to sail on Lake Mendota. And actually I became the, uh, the Commodore or the president of uh, the sailing club there called the Hoofers. I don't know why it was called the Hoofers, but I love horseback riding as well. From there, I graduated and I got in my car and I never wanted to see snow and ice 
and ice boats again. And I drove <laughs> You wanted warmth. Yeah, right. I drove down to Fort Lauderdale with my dog. And I've been living here ever since uh, that time in Fort Lauderdale. I first became a, um, would you believe, the youngest yacht broker in Fort Lauderdale. I worked for a company called the Marina del Americana, which was right on the intercoastal waterway in the 17th Street Causeway. Um, I was the only female broker. I was the only one under 40. <laughs> and uh, wow. I, I got to meet, which was great. What was really good about it was that I got to meet everyone at that time who is in the yachting community. Um, and that was really, really fun for me. I, I really enjoyed it. And then um, I was wooed away from Marina del Americana by a wonderful man who owned um, the company that made the Allied boats, the Sea Wind, the Sea Breeze. Sure. Oh, wow. I had an I had an Allied Looters. Oh, did you? A Looters 33. Yeah. I did. I Love sold a lot of those. Um, um, I also ran a charter business for him down in Fort Lauderdale. So we had one of each boat. Anyway, he was a wonderful gentleman to work for. And I, he sent me to all the boat shows, you see. And that's how I began my circuit of giving lectures at boat shows. He would send me around the country just to give lectures on sailing. And of course, mention the Allied brand of boats. Uh, which I had become very familiar with. And that started the real love of my life was helping other people get to know sailing and get to know boats and, and be out on the water. One day- Now, what year was that? Because I know that um, Robin Lee Graham had- Oh yeah, Robin, yes, I, yes, yeah. Yeah, he became famous, you know? And uh, while I, I never met him, I corresponded with him a lot, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting, Ben, that you remember that. Yeah. Sure, sure. Because he had an Allied Looters. Uh, he had two boats when he circumnavigated. If if people don't know, we're talking, it's the author of the book Dove. Right. And he, he circumnavigated when he was a very young man. And I think from what I understand, he started with one boat and then National Geographic got involved and helped sponsor him and helped him purchase the Allied Looters. Well, that was also part of Mr. Warren's doing as well, just so you know. Ah, okay. He helped with that. Exactly. That's how I got to know Robin. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but anyway, the, the best part of my life actually was seeing this really good looking guy walking down a dock one day. You know, I am not even five feet and I see this tall sort of six foot three guy walking down a dock and I kind of like the cut of his jib. And I, I, I had seen him, funny enough, at the Chicago Yacht Club on a boat called Panacea, where he was the captain for Peter Grimm. And at that point, he owned a boat, a beautiful boat, a Charlie Morgan design boat called mm. Panacea. And uh, I went out and I introduced myself to this young man. <laughs> I, have, I have no embarrassment in introducing myself to people. <laughs> and, um, uh, he looked down at me and he, he said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm a friend of Peter Grimm's and Peter is chartering Panacea now. I'm also the babysitter for his son, Peter Grimm Jr., who, by the way, has become a very well-known sailmaker with North Sails. That was the start of it. I fell in love with him and 
thank goodness he fell in love with me. And that was Andy. Andy Wall, that's right. Mm -hmm. Born and raised in um, Sydney, Australia. Built his own little 30-foot Carmen-class wooden flush deck sailboat that had exactly five feet of headroom. So I was the only person who could stand up in it. And uh, our honeymoon was sailing across the Atlantic in a 30-foot boat with no engine, no electronics, of course. <laughs> this was back in 1972. Having the best time of my life. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Well, we will get more into your sailing with Andy and your family, but I want to stick a little bit more to your early sailing experiences because you mentioned that you were passing up bologna sandwiches and, and drinks during the sailing, but you obviously were picking something up. You were, I imagine, more involved in the sailing than you let on if you were then a broker not too long after that and, and sailing actively. Well, okay. First of all, my dad belonged to both the Columbia Yacht Club and the Chicago Yacht Club, which are right on the waterfront in, in Chicago. Um, and the Columbia Yacht Club had, had a fleet of penguins, you know, the little penguins. Mm -hmm. that in those days, they were timber. They were wood in those days. And I was an avid penguin racer, okay, you know, because a little kid could do that. Yeah. And so th that's really how I started um, sailing my own boat. And then, of course, when I went to University of Wisconsin and became a Huffers member, I was um, constantly uh, sailing in tech dinghies and, of course, racing. But, of course, that was very limited because it was only, uh, you know, the the uh, fall and the spring, you know, very limited time before the sure. ice storm. And then, of course, I did ice boating in the winter on Lake Mendota and on Lake Geneva, where my dad had a little house just so he could ice boat. Um, so, yes, you're absolutely right. Besides uh, just being a, a down below crew member on my dad's bigger sailing yacht. Um, by the way, he won the Mackinac race, both the Chicago and the um, Bayview Mackinac race one year, both races. So he uh -huh. got he, he got what they called the clean sweep, and the trophy was a broom that you hoisted to the top of the mast for the whole <laughs> season until the next Mackinac race. What was it about it? Was it the the racing, the competitiveness? Was it just being out on the water that you said to yourself, "I need to keep doing this. I want to keep doing this." I I think you know it sort of got in my blood, and and I probably inherited that from my dad and my mom. Who were both sailors. I can remember my mom saying that she she almost gave birth to me in the cockpit of of their our boat, which was a boat that my dad and my mom first had, kind of a beautiful sleek boat that they had. So I don't know. Uh, I I totally enjoyed it. I I used to be terrified of the starts of the race uh, when everybody was so close to each other and everybody was screaming and yelling and shouting and everything. Everyone yeah. but my dad. My dad never lifted his voice. Uh, but I would, I, I think, um, I think as I got older, the fact that I kind of knew what I was doing made me not proud of what I was doing, but kind of like maybe a good tennis player or something, happy to be out there doing it because mm -hmm. it was so much a part of me and so much fun. And, and sometimes I did well and sometimes I didn't do well. And there was and a confidence, I would imagine. I think it was, 
not so much confidence as just joy of doing it. Do you uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah. Just joy, joy of knowing that besides driving a car when I became 16, I could handle a boat and not be afraid and take chances if I had to, but always be under control. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always be under control. And of course, meeting Andy changed my whole life because he taught me. He was the one who taught me um, how to become a real ocean-going sailing person because um, I had never crossed an ocean or been out at sea for more than maybe two days. I mean, yeah. like Michigan. And so you and you and Andy became real partners. But it, it brings up a question in my mind: What was your mom's relationship to sailing? Well, my mom always really enjoyed it, but she didn't do anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She went along for the ride. Yeah. But she loved the ride. And she was she was never frightened or scared or anything because my dad was a very good seaman. And so she never, I never saw my mom at the helm. I never saw my mom trim a sail. Uh, but I always saw the joy in her face when she was on the water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the confidence that she had in my dad. And um, I think um, meeting Andy and him saying to me, Pammy, uh, I'm not just going to be the sailor on this boat and you the passenger. You've got to be a co-captain with me. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to feel secure. And from the get-go, when I started sailing Andy, even before we were married, um, he he made sure that I learned from him what he knew, and he was probably one of the. I mean, I'm sorry to say this because you know everybody probably thinks about their mates this way, but I think he was the best sailor that ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's statement, you know. Andy not only taught you; he said, "Look, I I expect you to be an equal with me, a partner with me in this." And, and that's required for, for that interest and enjoyment, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, for years, Ben, you might know this already, I uh, would give seminars at um, Cruisers University at the Annapolis Boat Show, I think sure. I 15 years, uh, with, men, with several different other women as well. Kathy Parsons was my most favorite, Beth Leonard and I, and you know, we, we would give them together because we wanted to have people have aspects from, you know, two different people, you know, so it wasn't just one person talking yeah. about the situation. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I found when I had these big classrooms, they were always uh, overbooked with these women, was that their husbands wanted to be in control and maybe didn't know a lot, but they were still a little bit nervous about it, but they didn't want to show that to their wives. And so they wouldn't let their wives do anything. And the woman became a passenger. And when you're a passenger and you don't know what's happening when the the, the lured winches are underwater, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, yeah. you know, when you're leading to windward, is terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah, And um, the, most of the women who came to those uh, bi-yearly that we would do them twice a year, spring and fall at the Annapolis Boat Show, came because they were frightened. They wanted to learn what to do, not to be frightened. And the only way to do that 
is to know to be in control and to know how to control. Yeah. And to, and to love it and to know that if you do it right, there's not going to be any problem. So important. Do you agree with that, Ben? I mean, totally. Yeah. Oh, completely. So when did that come feeling of confidence come for you? What did did you you and Andy took off your honeymoon was sailing across the Atlantic, as you mentioned, on a small boat. Was there a moment when you felt, oh, okay, or was it a gradual process? Oh, no, it was a gradual process. I've got to tell you a really quick story. Yeah. When we first left, of course, this is the first time, well, not really, because we, we had sailed down to the West Indies on this little boat and back again. But this is the first time we're crossing an ocean and we were bound for Bermuda. And uh, I think we were out three days and we got into a really bad nor'easter. And <clears throat> little Karen Aid only had a, a gimbaled, a little gimbaled stove with kerosene stove. And I'll never forget this. I was down below making porridge. Andy called it porridge. It was oatmeal for our breakfast. Mm -hmm. And of course, the gimbaled stove was crashing back and forth, of course. He was up in the cockpit and we took a really bad one and it knocked the boat over so much that, because um, we were beating to windward in this tiny little boat, mm -hmm. uh, that the porridge jumped off the stove. I, first of all, it hit the floor, then it bounced off the overhead. You know, don't forget, down below, I only had five feet of freeboard or five feet. <laughs> and bounced up off the overhead, back down onto my lap, you know, burning me up. Oh. And I started, you know, the way I handled it, I started crying. <laughs> and Andy, who'd been up in the cockpit steering, looked down on me and said, did you learn something, kid? Did you learn something? cook the oatmeal in a pressure cooker with a lid, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of the story of my life on uh, Little Carinade is that he would teach me the right things to do. And when I really bungled it, the two of us would laugh and of course, correct what I had done wrong. So it wasn't like- scolding. As long as you were laughing with him and you weren't yeah. angry about it. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't scolding me, he was saying. He was laughing at me. And I think, you know, they always used to say laughter is the best medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, I think um, that that's what happened. And of course, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And the more he could sleep at night uh, on his off watches and know that he didn't have to worry about it. And of course, I never worried about it because I had him. I think that also gave me a real feeling of not only joy, but um, kind of elevation that I'd gotten to the point where I can sail this boat because I've had a good, a good master teaching me. Mm -hmm. Now I remember I some of those it. early times standing watch on your own before you had that, that confidence. I don't think I ever had any um, notion of fear ever because he was teaching me you know, everything works, Ben. Everything works if you know how to work it. You know what I mean? Even in severe weather. I mean, uh, one night I heard a gunshot in my watch on deck. And Andy, of course, woke up immediately. And the turnbuckle on the head say, don't forget, this was in the days of Hank on sales. Oh, it was a wicked night. And the turnbuckle, believe it or not, on the head stay broke. It's a wooden mast, but of course it's keel stepped. And I see, I go up on deck and the boat was so small 
And I usually, to get out of the cockpit, I would grab the backstay. And I'd grab the backstay to get up on deck to see what was happening. And the backstay, you know, sort of <laughs> was like loose spaghetti. in my hand. It's the mast was rough. And I'm going, oh, shit, you know. And yeah. by that time, Andy was up on deck with it, seeing what it was wrong. He got a new turnbuckle out. He put the new turnbuckle in, and Bob was your uncle. But if it hadn't been for the rope love on the Genoa, we, we might have, because it was a rough, rough night and lots of wind. We only had a Spitfire jib up. But if it hadn't hmm. been that halyard, we probably might have, well, I don't think we would have lost the mast, but it was a wooden, you know, a hollow spar, a wooden mast. It might have done some bad damage. Wow. Um, that was the scariest thing that ever happened. The most frightening thing that ever happened. And um, Andy said it was his fault for not checking the turnbuckles. He always, he always checked the swedges and the, you know, things like that. But he never had to look at the turnbuckle to see if the turnbuckle was all right. So we learned something together. Wow. Can you believe Not that? Not only did you sail with Andy, you sailed with your whole family. And I want to ask you a bit about that because yeah. I am preparing to go off cruising with my family. And I think there's much to learn from you and your experience. You, you and Andy had how many children? Two. And you were, how, what ages were they when you all took off sailing together? Okay, well, we started sailing uh, with them, you know, after they came out of the womb, practically going over to the Bahamas and, and yeah. going up to Maine and things like that. But just uh, to, to sail around the world like we wanted to do with the two children in a boat that was just half finished. You know that feeling, Ben, when you're building a boat or getting a boat ready to go someplace, then you can work on it for the rest of your life. Oh, I know that feeling. I'm yeah. in the middle of it right now. Right. And then all of a sudden you just have to throw down the tools um, and say, you know, God, we got to get going or, or this is going to go on forever. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, My so wife keeps that, telling me, look, don't worry about it. You're not going to get it all done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I tell people. Get out there and then you'll know what you need to do. Not what you want to do, but what you need to do. So get out there. But anyway, when we finally got the boat, so it was rigged and halfway decent down below. And we took the header tank, the one gallon header tank uh, for the diesel engine and actually made real fuel tanks and water tanks. And we took off to sail around the world and we thought we'd be gone for a year, a year and a half. And seven years later, we came back. Um, my daughter was seven and my son was four. Okay. They were the best crew. They always had responsibilities. They always fulfilled the responsibilities. Uh, luckily, I know this sounds funny, Ben, but luckily there was no such thing as computers. And yeah. our boat was so full of books. And we'd go to the movies every afternoon. We'd all sit out in the cockpit and Andy would steer and I would read a chapter of a book. And we called it, and I'd make popcorn and we called that going to the movies. Of course, that was only in nice weather because our cockpit was kind of a wet cockpit. But the children read books. The children did a lot of the cooking on a kerosene stove, by the way. Mm -hmm. The children each had their jobs cooking meals, cleaning the dishes, cleaning up the boat. We vacuumed with a 12-volt vacuum cleaner every day. They had a lot of responsibility. And then when they were old enough, Jamie started teaching them celestial navigation. I think by the time we got to New Zealand, 
which is about two and a half, three years, the kids could actually take sites and, and, and celestial navigate because this was part of school. How wonderful. You know, it was part of school. Yeah. But it was also something that we didn't think was unusual because it was a part of the daily routine of a sailor, you know, especially yeah. going off into, into an ocean. Do you know what I mean? Tell me what this meant. I mean, you don't know from anything different, so you can't compare it to anything. But what did this do for you as your family dynamic, your relationships as a family? Because before we started recording, you were telling me you still have this boat and it is the place where you and your son can go and feel complete peace. I think it's kind of like almost maybe a bunch of puppies living in the womb of a, of a, of a dog. Uh, the boat was not only just a boat to us and our home to us, but it was an entity to us. And it was an entity that made our family uh, living together a very special, very special thing. Uh, my daughter, Samantha, was one of these girls, these young girls who loved doing everything, never argued, always enjoyed everything. And my son, Jamie, to this day is the same. Uh, he's a character and, and you know, very strong-willed and strong-minded. And uh, we used to have something that we taped up to the, to the uh, door of the head, the toilet room, um, where every day the kids would have to put either a gold star or a black star for the chore that they had. They had about <laughs> oh, seven or eight chores they had to do every day. And Jamie's had all the black stars. And Samantha had all the gold stars. It was a it. joke with us. <laughs> um, I think it, it makes the family much closer as long as you all have the right attitude, especially the parents. I think a big mistake, Ben, is giving your children nothing but computers to look at when they have nothing else to do. Uh, what we tried to do was read to them as much as we could from books about the next place that we were going to visit. Sometimes it was a foreign language. We put our children in school when we could, if it was going to be for a period of time. Ben, I can tell you one thing. We, when we got to Tahiti and we needed to earn some money, we stayed there for a year. And Andy and I both got wonderful jobs with wonderful people. And we put our children in real school there. Unfortunately, they had to go to two different schools because of their age difference. And you know that they were speaking French within a week. They're speaking wow. French. And of course, I still haven't conquered it. To this day, uh, Jamie is an architect and most of his projects are in France. And a lot of them cool. South Beach where everything is Spanish. And of course he's, He's fluent in both of those languages, can't write anything, but he's fluent in both languages. <laughs> and, and I sit there and I think to myself, well, bonjour, ça va bien? You know? And he's going, ah! you know. <laughs> anyway, um, the best thing we ever did for them, because when we got home, I will tell you this, Ben, when we got home, they were chastised at school for being so different because their hands were up. They wanted to answer questions. They wanted to uh, converse with the, the, their teachers. Uh, they were so weird and so strange. They didn't know how to play football. They had no idea what soccer was. 
you know, they could windsurf and scuba dive, but who cared about that? Yeah, that readjustment <laughs> must have been tough, both for the kids and for you and, and Andy. Luckily, Andy was uh, such a well-known rigger when we left, sailboat rigger, that when we came back, he was inundated with, with work. And West Marine had just started uh, opening the first store east of the Mississippi. No, second store. The first one was down in Miami. Okay. And the second one was in Fort Lauderdale, around the corner from where I lived. And of course, I went and I applied for a job there. I thought, well, this is right up my alley. I um, was interviewed with seven other men who were all using this thing that added and subtracted, multiplied and divided. Calculator? A calculator. And of course, I had never heard of a calculator. <laughs> I had never heard of it. And they all finished the uh, interviews, you know, by calculating certain things. And I'm there, long division, long multiplication, adding some And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't have a chance to get a job here. I got called up by the manager who interviewed all of us, okay, and um, said, can you come to work tomorrow? You'll start off as a cashier. And I said, I don't know how to work a cash register. You know, I could do the old ka-ching, ka-chings. He said, don't worry, we'll teach you. So I started off as a cashier and I think within five months or something like that, I was the, uh, the second manager in control and I, I never became the manager of the store. But what I did was I started my own niche and my uh -huh. own niche for West Marine was cruising consulting. And they actually built an office for me and the office looked like the transom of a sport fishing boat. And the name I, of it was called Wall in the Hull. I love it. Okay. I have pictures of it. It's wonderful. Wall in the Hull. And I had my own desk and I had my own secretary and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. How did you get business? Would you go out to shows still or would people come into the store and talk? That's to what them? I did. West Marine sent me around the country to all their stores. Okay. And I would give my lecture about sailing around the world. And then I increased it to outfitting your boat for blue water cruising. Then I increased it to about 10 other subjects all to do with sailing, you know. And I was going all over the country. It was so much fun. And West Marine was shouting the bill. And, and all of a sudden, they decided that they wanted me to do nothing but outfit mega yachts. Because that's where the big money was. And of course, mega yachts buy things that West Marine doesn't carry. Mm. But it led to something really interesting. So I started outfitting the mega yachts. I got to meet all these mega yacht captains and owners. It was so much fun. And of course, everything was a special order because West Marine didn't carry it. So I had my own office, my own hours. I'd even take my dog into my office with me all day long. Anyway, that morphed into a wonderful, wonderful position I was not working for the store, I was working for West Marine. And I started doing it for all the stores. Okay. And, and I was a, one busy little girl, but it was yeah. fabulous. And um, then my daughter got cancer. Mm. First of all, Andy suddenly died, mm. suddenly. And then after that horrible happening, my daughter got cancer and needed to go to chemo and radiation every day. And since mm. I was doing everything on computers by that time, I started to work from home doing, because my customers never were anywhere near West Marine. They were all over the world. 
Right. And um, what Aunt Randy Repass um, uh, left the company and a, a new CEO came in. Good for Randy. You know, he retired. He became chairman of the board, but he retired. And Randy was a really good friend. And the new um, CEO decided to cut salaries on people who were earning too much. And they told me that nobody worked from home because I was working from home and I was working on a laptop and Samantha was having her chemo and her radiation at the, at the hospital. And they said, you have to come back to work in your office. And I said, I, I can't do that at yeah. this point. And they said, you have a week to decide. Oh, gosh. And I said, I don't need a week to decide. Yeah. I have to be with my daughter. Yeah. And they terminated me. Oh. And it was probably the biggest shock of my life because I had worked there for 22 years. And um, I, I don't want to go into it, but it was not the right thing to do yeah. okay, for either of us. No, they closed down. They closed down my portion. They closed down my mega yacht, uh, you know, industry, which of course was huge. But a, a mega yacht would buy is what one person would buy in five years. You know what I mean? Right. Anyway, be that as it may, Steve Dashu saved me. Steve Dashu calls me up. He says, Pam, I understand you left West Marine. I have this company in New Zealand that you know, we were building these beautiful trawlers. And um, I want you to be my procurement manager in the United States. You work from home. Again, the community yeah. comes together yep. and looks out for its own. Exactly. And I was busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Uh -huh. Let me tell you. I mean, it, had, it was worse than being in an office because I had so many orders to fulfill. Then I had to ship them. I was shipping one container a month over to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I did all the shipping paperwork and everything, but boy, did I get to know the, the, the industry. Let me tell you. Pam, I've got two questions that are circling in my head and I think they're related. One was just, you, you were such a positive person and you've dealt with so much adversity in your life. And how do you maintain that? The other question is, you've always been, it seems since the very beginning, you've wanted to share. Like Andy passed on knowledge to you and experience, and you are such a people person and want to share that with others. And you continue to do that. Are those two things related in a way? Um, they must be because um, to carry on after you've had the kind of hardships that I've had. Um, if you know that old saying, Jim, Jimmy Buffett, if I didn't laugh, I'd go insane. Mm -hmm. And um, the laughter part of me was helping others to achieve what I have been, I'm goose flesh talking about this, what I have been so lucky to have had in my life. Yes, uh, we have our downers, but we also can remember the beauty the fascination, the love, the romance, the feeling of accomplishment of what you and I are doing with our families. Mm -hmm. and I found great joy in helping people 
to try to achieve that. And um, that's what I'm doing now. I'm, as a matter of fact, I just had a family who live in France who want to buy a boat. They have four children. They want to take off. And it's so much fun to be able to instill in them not the um, pain of finding a boat, not the, the real awful thing of having to get ready to go and all that kind of stuff, but the joy of what they're going to have in their lives, uh, especially as a family, or if it's just even a woman by herself and her husband, you know, or her, her, her cruising partner. So um, to me, that has been um, what has kept me going besides the fact that my son, James, who is my best friend, and, and having that boat with so many wonderful memories. So, and being such a fantastic boat. I mean, she is, you know, like everybody should feel their heart going like this when, when they talk about their boat. And mine is, is, is just, just as bad or worse than anybody's maybe. So um, I, I, I just really want to help others um, have what I had that I was so lucky to have. And it makes me happy. It makes me be able to carry on, um, maybe virtually, but still, it, it keeps things going up here. Do you know what I mean? It keeps things yeah. going in my brain. And it's my passing heart. on that joy. And it's wonderful to see you continuing to do it. I heard a quote recently, I think it was attributed to Michael J. Fox, who's suffering with Parkinson's, that he said, with gratitude, optimism is sustainable. Absolutely. And, you know, I could have buried myself in pity, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, Samantha and Jamie and Andy up there are looking down at me and saying, you go, girl, you keep going, girl. Look what we all did together and look what, what you can still continue to do and make, and make other people remember how great a life you've had because you have. And, and uh, you know, sometimes my son, Jamie says, how can you be so positive about life? And I, and I say, because, because of what I've had in the, in the past, Jamie, because of what I've had in the past. Uh, well, I just want to say for one, thank you for being an inspiration, not only about sailing, but about your outlook on life. And may you continue to inspire and help others. Well, look at you. Look at you. You are the son of two wonderful people who did the same thing for you that I did with for my children. I feel very lucky to have had that. Don't we both feel that? And, and you know what? The best thing that you and I can do is to pass on that joy. And your, your presentations uh, do exactly that. Uh, I hope what I do does something hopefully that help other people as well. Um, and the best we can do, Ben, is just to carry on with a lifestyle that we've chosen that really works wonders and uh, yeah. keeps a family together, keeps people together, and gives you also self-pride. I'd like to end this by saying your parents are so dear to me. Oh. And this is the first time I've met you kind of in person. <laughs> yeah. And I would like to invite you down to Florida to go sailing on Kendarik. Oh, thank Anytime you. Anytime with the whole family or, or just yourself, whatever. If you can ever come down here, I've got, unfortunately, two extra bedrooms that you can <laughs> bunk out in. Oh, man, I hope to be able to take you up on that not in the not too distant future. I 
was hoping to connect with you at the boat show this fall, but I think we're going to be taking off cruising in September if all goes to plan. But Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Where do you think you're going to go? Heading south to Mexico, and then we'll see one step at a time. Oh, wow. I've always wanted to go to Mexico and, and visit the whales and, you know, and stuff like that. We, we never got to Mexico, but it was on our, it was on our agenda. But you can't hit everything. <laughs> but, <laughs> everything. No, no. And I'm not going to be at the boat show either because uh, Andy and, and Mia uh, invited me again, which was yeah. wonderful uh, and so sweet of them. But I had already committed to, would you believe, um, speaking to a crowd of elderly women up in North Dakota. Oh gosh. <laughs> and, 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 and who are probably younger than I am, but think they're old and let them know age is not a function of years. I'm excited about that because if I can help them to be understanding that years don't mean anything, yeah. you know. Well, uh, take your parka. <laughs> yes, I'm going to. Pam, this has been so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time. No, I just, it's my pleasure. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. You can always reach me on Instagram at outthegatesailing or email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast and be eligible for some swag and extra benefits as an Out The Gate crew member, you can sponsor us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Out The Gate. Check it out. Until next time, smooth sailing. <laughs>